Hey everyone, this is my brother Michael. My brother Adam. We're the Sharp Brothers. You're listening to Mentoring for the Modern Musician. Hey everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast. To Mentoring, mentoring for, for the, the Modern, modern musician. musician. Today on the podcast, first request. Oh, we don't usually do this to you, but I'm I have, I have a request. Re- you're going to request something from I them? am going to request something from anybody listening. Do you have a value add to give them for whatever you're going to ask them? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, the value add is... I'll allow it then. (laughs) Thank you, Judge Michael. (laughs) The value add add is information. Okay. Like so up-to-date information. You got to really turn your brain up. You got to turn your brain up. And that's it. That was what I was going to ask. Is today, try not to multitask too much (laughs) on this one or do something multitasking where you're not going to put others... in danger. in danger, right? No heavy, no heavy do, equipment. Do not operate heavy machinery while Don't, listening yeah. to this particular stay, podcast. Stay off the backhoe. Exactly. Bad idea. <laughs> stay off the backhoe. <laughs> if I had a nickel. So, <laughs> so on this podcast, we are interviewing. It's a follow-up podcast, actually, from from last week's. It is where we interviewed Zach, Zach Bear. Bear from from oh, Venue, CEO from Venue, and one of the companies that. Zach talked about was right when he talked about when he talked about acquiring Soundster. Soundster and Soundster was acquired by Venue. I believe it was April, so this is recent. So on this show, you will be getting much, 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 much information from Mr. Brian Pennick. So much information. Who is the CBD, which is Chief of Business Development? That's what it means for Soundster. And Soundster is we'll have links in the back Mm -hmm. end of the show. Like if you look in the show notes, we'll have. Links to go to all of the appropriate places. <laughs> but Soundster just is all just places. all the good places, all the happy places. Soundster is sound and an S-T-R. Yes. Stir. Dot com. Dot com. Exactly. Um, and th- uh, but this is, I mean, unbelievable. It's the weeds. This is very technical. It's so turn up your brain. But a for lot of any, great information. Any musician who is a musician. And well, <laughs> who's a gigging musician, gigging musician. He's a performing musician, any songwriter? You're gonna want to know about this. Any club owner, any industry professional, mm-hmm. anybody from a PRO, anybody from a booking agency, anybody from a management company, anybody in the music industry, yeah. you are definitely gonna want to know about this. Absolutely, this you want to be in on this. All cutting edge so stuff. Is, this is ground floor stuff. Very exciting. It's like if someone said, no, this is a new thing, plastics. <laughs> plastics, <this>. kid. <laughs> so here we go. Strap in. Microchip technology. <laughs> strap, strap in. And we have our interview with Brian Penny. Brian, Michael and Adam from Mentoring for the Modern Musician. How are you? I'm doing well today, sir. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you. So let's start with a little bit of, uh, little bit of background about, about you before we get into Soundster and, and uh, your history of music and how you got into the industry and... Where you come from? Yeah, absolutely. So, I was actually a touring and recording artist uh, from the '99 through 2011, and uh, had a lot of projects based predominantly out of Cincinnati, Ohio, and did some stints on uh, the West Coast. But essentially, hopped in a van and, uh, and lived out that life for about 12 years, and then a year prior to leaving the road in 2010. I realized that, you know, I wanted to stay in the industry. I was very interested in pursuing the business side of music business. So I launched the Counter Rhythm Group, which 
started out originally as an artist development agency, and uh, we had a few, you know, marketing services that we offered. We hosted some events at several uh, venues around the Cincinnati market, and we grew to a, a few other event spaces in some other areas as well. And uh, that was really my launch into uh, focusing on the business side, but really seeing the bigger picture of the industry. And, you know, I had a really good grasp as an artist because, you know, we had worked with labels, you know, entertainment attorneys, yeah. managers, right, booking right. agents, but yeah. I realized how vast it truly was, and it really allowed me to focus on, um, you know, artist development, early stage development of artists. And quite frankly, I was really uh, excited about the uh, prospect of helping others get in the spotlight because I'd been there myself. Yeah. So, yeah, right. you know, still have the Counter Rhythm Group, uh, still full functioning uh, music agency. We do a lot of uh, music services for uh, non-artists. So, you know, agencies that represent artists, you know, we've done very high-level marketing and SEO you know, we've done some uh, business development, you know, risk assessment valuation. Uh, we're, the, we're the ones very much behind the scenes that are working with those uh, right. who are working with artists. And we, we right. very much appreciate our position in, in the market. But at the end of the day, we feel we're doing a great job. But we're, again, <laughs> not necessarily in the limelight, and that's okay with us. And, uh, right. and then yeah, and uh, you're fine from with the that. Counter Rhythm yeah. Group, uh, my next company that I launched was called... Uh, uh, is called, I should say, Musician's Desk Reference. And that started um, out of, I, I, taking a big step back from, you know, working with artists and doing development campaigns, which we've done from, you know, indie artists up to Walk the Moon. Walk the Moon was our uh, uh, most well-known client. You know, really? Multi-platinum artists. Yeah, so oh, we were yeah. very early on in their team. But, Love that. Uh, you know, we realized that there were a lot of parallels working with different artists, and, you know, there was uh, basic sets of information that, you know, each artist needed to help build that foundation, you know, we use a lot of uh, analogies, but essentially if you want to build the infrastructure up of you and your team to a sustainable career, you have to lay a really nice foundation, as you two very well know. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we wanted to work to try and standardize uh, that, you know, early stage education and career development aspect of, uh, you know, being an artist and also being a professional early on in, in the music industry, whether you're a student, you know, going to a university that offers a music program or, somebody that wanted to go down an independent route. So Musician's Desk Reference is, in a broad sense, it's a project-based learning system specifically for the music industry, for artists and professionals, but it has individual elements like a, a project management system, a content management system. There's tools that can help you, you know, assemble uh, one sheets, press releases, you know, service labels, things like that. Wow. But it's really a tool that helps you navigate your uh, career you know, in into the music industry and then upwards of having a sustainable career. Uh, mm -hmm. We are working with uh, several educational institutions and we're actually in conversation with several music commissions and government agencies that are looking to stimulate the uh, the creator class, which is great. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and then that led me uh, to find one of my business partners, uh, Eric Folkert, and uh, he's you know started out as a, a friend and a mentor, and he decided uh, he was interested in what we were doing with musicians' desk reference. So. He came on as a partner in that project, and then, you know, through some other mutual interests we were exploring in, in the music sector, we uh, started to set our eyes on um, what became Soundster, and that's okay. uh, a, a little bit of a detailed conversation, but in a sense, Soundster started out as two separate companies, 
And right. Soundster was an event advertising company, which was my company. And then there was a company called Music Play Analytics, which uh, was started by Aaron Bucciarelli Teacher. He was right. the uh, founding uh, drummer and Hawthorne co-songwriter Heights, for right? the platinum-selling rock band Hawthorne, Hawthorne Heights. Heights. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So Aaron and I were friends from, you know, back in the early 2000s when, you know, we played shows in our uh, punk bands together, pre Hawthorne Heights. Yeah, so yeah. Aaron, Aaron was a good friend, and we decided that we really liked uh, that both of us were, you know, focusing on the, the business side of the music. He had, right. you know, since left Hawthorne Heights in like 2013. Mm-hmm. So long story short, his uh, company, Music Play Analytics, uh, acquired Soundster and brought on, you know, our IP and our founding team. And then we went forward facing with both value props, which was the event advertising, but more so focused on the music licensing component initially. Right. And uh, that was the company that was acquired by Venue earlier this year. And now Soundster has become a part of the product suite of the Venue family, which includes Set.fm, Disc Live, and the actual Venue itself. So... I have a lot of other things that I could explore. I don't want to, you know, take all the <laughs> no, time to discuss, I, I, you know, all the other I, projects. But yeah, I've got my hand in a lot of cookie jars. I was going to say, way to yeah. So is ahead, is, is musician d- desk reference still active? That's that's something that's still going on as well, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, we're, yeah, we're working on very high level enterprise accounts. Like I said, we have about half dozen universities that use it wow. as supplemental curriculum or turnkey solutions for their courses. Uh, we, you know, the, the enterprise level, um, you know, especially like music commission and governmental conversations we're having are really cool because what we're focusing on is creating a supportive ecosystem for the entire creator class, both musicians and, you know, those interested in getting into the music industry is like professional services, like managers, agents, things like that, but also, you know, companies that want to start doing merch and branding and things like that. And the concept is to create uh, a true, like a bubble, an ecosystem around, you know, say a city and provide early stage educational resources for all creators. So imagine having uh, tools, resources, and educational content that is, you know, extremely accessible, possibly even free to everyone in the market and beyond just the, you know, conceptual things and conceptual knowledge that you gain from those educational resources an actual pathway to the practical implementation and application into your career. So say somebody wants to be a booking agent, this is a resource that would teach them how to be a booking agent, allow them to work with artists early on and actually go through the process of developing their career. But in the same uh, sense, if an artist wants to learn how to work with a booking agent, they will be partnered with those looking to become an agent, also agents within the market early on, given access to those same educational resources and help better qualify both those artists and, you know, their initial team members. So at the end of the day, you've got more of a a matchmaking scenario of anyone who wants to work on the professional side or anyone that wants to work with professionals and the entire ecosystem is supportive again, from education through career development. Okay. Just listening to you describe that, it, it, I'm sort of like just giddy happy inside. All right, exactly. I'm like, hey, that's, that's but wait, awesome. that's the world I want to live in. That's, exactly. that's amazing. Exactly. The, I love that. Yeah, well, it's, it's that, been it, a long journey. Yeah. And it's certainly far from over. But essentially where I work, and this is kind of a nice way to button up, you know, my background, and, you know, I don't have an ego, so I don't need to hear myself talk, <laughs> and I certainly yeah. want to provide context. But if you were to draw a Venn diagram around uh, music entrepreneurship, music education, and music employment, I fall right in the cross section. 
And yeah. at the end of the day, you know, I've got some very core beliefs that, um, you know, I implement into my business and that is everyone deserves a chance. Everyone deserves access to, you know, quality educational material and everyone deserves a chance at a, a pathway from educational content to career development. We try, we try to be the good guys in the industry and that very much stems into, you know, the work that I did with Soundster and that we're doing with yeah. Menu as well. Oh man, that's, that's, that sounds so cool. And that's a perfect segue yeah. to talk about Soundster and the difference that you enumerate on, on your, in your literature and on your site about general licensing right. and other types of licensing. I mean, if you talk about that a little bit, that'd be great. So uh, in a very general sense, when music is used, whomever is using that music, which is called, quote unquote, the music user, needs to pay for it. So there are different types of licensing categories. There's performing rights, which are what the performing rights organizations deal right. with. So ASCAP, right. BMI, CSAC, global music rights. So, and there's uh, a fifth that launched in the States and there's rumor to be uh, between three to five more launching here in the States soon. And there's uh, approximately 70 of them uh, worldwide, but wow. um, oh, the U.S. is one of the only countries that has more than one. Uh, I should say the U.S. has more than any, but we have, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. So <laughs> other than performing rights, you have uh, mechanical licensing, mechanical rights. Exactly. Uh, there is licensing associated with sheet music, uh, with lyrics. So there, there's multiple different types of licenses, but what we specifically focus on are performing rights. And a exactly. performing right is when a composition, so the actual song itself, is performed in a public setting. Now, there are four different sectors of those settings. Uh, those are radio, so that's traditional uh, yep. radio, which radio is a little terrestrial body, radio, terrestrial and, yep. and digital. Um, and then you have uh, across TV networks. And then you have across digital formats, nominally known as CSPs, digital service providers, so Spotify, uh, and then, you know, Apple Music. And then Pandora. the fourth, which is that, well, Pandora is a little different because it falls into somewhat of a different category. Performing right still relates to that, but Pandora and Sirius, which obviously big announcement this week is the acquisition, yeah. uh, you know, th that's kind of table for, for the side because that's a, a different that's layer a, of It's a whole, complexity. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, and then the fourth level is called general licensing, or the fourth, fourth sector, I should say. Mm -hmm. And general licensing is when your music is uh, performed in a public setting, uh, and, and that is an actual brick and mortar establishment. So, bars, nightclubs, coffee shops, grocery stores, um, and that can be a background performance. Yep. So, yep. something that's actually coming through a, a sound system. You know, background music, uh, background right. uh, service providers, or that also includes live performances. Now, right. So, like at a club, a, a, like a proper club, or, or exactly. Or so somebody's on stage. But yeah. one one important thing to note is a performing right of a composition. So performing rights licensing doesn't actually have to do with the songwriter that's on stage getting played to physically play, this is just concerned with the performance of the composition. If that songwriter is on stage performing their own songs that are registered with rights organizations, 
yes, they are uh, owed uh, a royalty and a, right. a fee needs to be collected for that. But this also pertains to uh, if, if they decide to cover another songwriter's music. Sure. And gotcha. that's a, sure. a, a common point of confusion is a lot of artists and even music users, so far as nightclubs, think they only have to pay a performing rights fee when somebody covers music. But right. any songwriter who records and releases music can register that music with a performing rights organization, a PRO. That's a really great point, and I, I just want to stop there for a second because I think what you're talking about is there are there is a big there has been a push uh, in the industry, uh, well, in that part of the industry, the performance part of the industry, from clubs and uh, and bars and establishments that don't want to pay uh, the ASCAP or BMI uh, fees. And their way that they think that they can get around it is to have people say that they're only going to play original music. And I think what you're saying is that that doesn't mean that you don't have to get paid for that. Right. Now, I mean, anytime music is used in a, a public setting, radio, TV, digital, or in this case, you know, any real world general licensing establishment, the music user needs to pay for that music. Right. And that's based on copyright law, revised copyright uh, act of 1976. Mm -hmm. But that stems back much earlier, uh, you know, in U.S. law and then, you know, international law as well. You know, countries that have, which majority of countries do industrialized countries, uh, right. have performing rights right. laws yeah. in place. So if any music is played, somebody needs to pay for it. And then somebody theoretically should be making money for that performance because exactly. somebody wrote that song. Right? Exactly. And so Soundster kind of solve some of those problems. Can you talk about that a little bit? What Soundster specifically is trying to solve is across those four different sectors, radio, TV, digital, and general licensing, radio, TV, and digital have a means of monitoring performances, tracking performances. Right. Uh, it's not always the most efficient. There's definitely <laughs> still some people, it, uh, you know, there are people yeah. filling out uh, manual playlist reports at, you know, few sheets at TV stations and things like that. It's and it's crazy. not always accurate. And right, you know, right. now the rights organizations have these uh, programs where you can submit your own song list, but sometimes songwriters aren't 100% accurate or they might be sampling a song that they might not even know. So exactly. th there's a, a lot of information. So at the end of the day, there needs to be some automated process and there needs to be some standard set. So, this exactly. stems from the fact that, you know, myself, who I had some success in bands varying from indie, one of my bands went on to sign to a major, and, you know, Aaron Bucciarelli, TJ from Hawthorne Heights, I mean, he was in a multi-platinum right, band. Right, right, exactly. Um, you know, we, we did not earn anything for general licensing unless we submitted our music, but the thing that is never discussed when it comes to a musician submitting music that they perform on a nightly basis is what happens if across the street in that same city somebody puts one of their songs on, you know, uh, you know, an old school jukebox, or somebody covers one of their songs. You know, right. if that artist does not submit the fact that they covered a song from right. another artist, or if that jukebox is not tied into a monitoring system, then that artist who is playing, you know, their own music that night is missing out on another opportunity to collect royalties from that. And this happens thousands, if not tens of thousands of times, you know, on, on a reoccurring basis, you know, not, not only in the U.S., but all over the world. So right. without some standard way to monitor and without, you know, everything that comes with that monitoring, the fingerprints, the source file, which, you know, we can get into that. Uh, there's a lot of money that most importantly is not going to the right songwriters, but also yeah. not being collected from people properly using music. And uh, what we found is that the rights organization – 
to somewhat their best attempts, and I use this terms carefully, um, are trying to collect as much as many fees as they can for music users, although we have information that says only about 20% of bars, uh, nightclubs, things like that are registered in the U.S. So, you know, 20 to 25% at best. So wow. you're talking, wow. you know, 70 to 80%, 75 to 80%, which are using music. And again, they might not even know that they owe these fees. And, you know, those yeah. numbers aren't necessarily disclosed, but uh, that goes back to the educational and the, the awareness campaign. Absolutely. So, with that being said, not all the money is being collected, but we're, what we're more focused on is the money that is being collected. We want to make sure that goes to the right songwriters and publishers. Yeah. So there is no current monitoring system in place at any given bar. And when that money is collected from that establishment, there's no transparency behind the structure of those fees. Um, you know, we are not anti-PRO by any means. Yeah. We are just calling upon them to consider and utilize new technology that exists that right. they were not aware of and that will help overall them accomplish their, their mission, which is support, to support songwriters and publishers that Absolutely. they represent. Yeah. But, you know, there is some hesitation because once you set a standard to the fee, once you set a standard rate, like right now there's no set rate for a song being performed on stage versus a song being played in the background weighted per the capacity of that club. They use right. these very antiquated uh, objective units of measurement of how often you play music, you know, how, what's your square footage, what's your capacity, mm-hmm. um, you know, what yep. types of music, whether it's just on stage, background, things like that. So right. the, yeah. the, these parameters have been set in place for a while, but you cannot define artist A is on stage playing a song. They should get this much money, uh, you know, X amount of money that's carved out of Y amount of fees that are coming from the, uh, the bar itself. And in another sense, not only is that songwriter not being accurately paid, which I'll, I'll continue that in a second, you, you could have two bars that are the same capacity that have the same square footage that post the same, you know, music per night. And these two bars could be paying completely different fees. And without weight of market share of catalog size and also the transparency behind the data of what music is being used, you know, we've got 300, oh, I'm sorry, 800 cap bars in the same city that we've dealt with that some of them are paying several multiples of the fee of the other club. And it, it, the, the PROs, they, while they do, have some, uh, they do have some formula that they work off of, most of these fees are negotiable. And since there's no standard rate, you know, if somebody negotiates a lower rate, then the PRO might. And I'm not saying that they will, but they might go try to get a larger rate out of somebody else who isn't willing to negotiate and, you know, just willing to pay the fees. And you, you have a lot of venues who are anti-PRO, which is very yeah, unfortunate lots. because the, the, the goal of this is to help songwriters and publishers get paid when their music is used. Right, That's exactly. why, again, yeah. we're, we're not anti-PRO. You know, we're anti the lack of transparency, the lack of educational content, all of those things. So, Real quickly, this does beg the question, have you been getting pushback from the PROs, or are they aware of what's going on? Well, without getting too far into it, there has been some pushback. We've had, we, well, I should say, we've had some support, which is great. Great. Uh, we've had some acceptance. Uh, we definitely have some questioning more than anything. Yep. Uh, we have had some pushback. Uh, the PROs realize that with new technology that's, you know, coming uh, to fruition, like, you know, our monitoring, 
um, you know, the, the, the product grace note that we utilize, you know, with things like the blockchain. Uh, right, the big right. question yeah. is, will, will, a, will a traditional PRO, and I use that term uh, intentionally, traditional mm-hmm. PRO be necessary, uh, which we can get into that. But the, what we're trying to show the PROs is that you, your overall mission is to support songwriters and publishers. We are here to help do that. It might mean less per ticket per, you know, uh, music user that you're dealing with. But what we can do is help offer a standard to these fees, help you better collect and distribute the royalties, which right now they're mostly flowing into what's known as the black box, right. you know, because there's no way to monitor those performances at right. the end of the year because they are a nonprofit. They have to disperse those royalties, and it doesn't always go to the right songwriters right. or yep. publishers. Um, but while it might be less per ticket, we can help with your distribution in the long term because – if you potentially can offer some transparency around these fees, you're going to have more people, more music users that are willing to pay because theoretically, if there's transparency, the fees can be lower. And that's why I reference, uh, you know, lower transaction per ticket from a bar. Right. But if you have 75 to 80% of those bars that are currently unlicensed, right. actually willing to come in and start paying these licenses because A, they know what they're paying for, B, they know where their money's going, and C, their fees actually might be lowered that's going to be beneficial. So there's more money flowing to the system overall. So in a long-term uh, you know, perspective, we, we can support the PROs and help their mission. Even if you can help get 50% of that 75% that's not doing it, it's going to justify the lowered fees. The data is what's most important because you know, right now you have so many songwriters, regardless if they've recorded and released their first record or multi-platform songwriters, you know, my former clients, you know, venue, you know, the artists that we're working with, you know, we hear time and time again uh, that they're, they know they're not making the money that they should, but where's this money going? And, you know, it, it's really unfortunate that this technology, which is relatively new uh, and, you know, largely pioneered by Gracenote and, and what we're, we're working with them, um, it, it's... To know that this technology exists and to still see some barriers to entry into the market is frustrating. But over time, you know, it's it's more of an evolutionary aspect of things like this, things like the blockchain that people don't quite understand. Once they are implemented at a larger scale, uh, you know, the overall uh, perspective of them is going to be uh, much more welcoming. And at that point of change, when you're going to see the music rights world really uh, go through its largest change, uh, you know, its largest act of modernization. And that's what's really exciting. Right. You know, the consent decree, which uh, are documents that are, I, I don't know how familiar you or your listeners are, the consent decrees, but basically ASCAP and BMI uh, went into voluntary agreements in 1941 with the Department of Justice, largely around uh, anti-monopolistic, uh, you know, intent. So they have, you know, 98% of the market, the Department of Justice said, if you go together, if you come together as one business, you're going to be a monopoly. Nobody can compete right. in the free market. Um, and CSAC is not governed by a consent decree and they're a for-profit company. But exactly. um, these, these... Well, an invite only, so... Yeah, invite only, yeah. Yeah, I, I get that in a sense from a monopolistic uh, point of view, but those restrictions placed on the PROs have made it increasingly difficult for them to operate. Now, they are working to remove some of these restrictions from the consent decrees, 
So it's the perfect time of modernization. Arendas is separate from the Music Modernization Act, but they're working to, uh, you know, modernize their potential to operate in the free market, even though they are, you know, nonprofits. But right. you have more PROs coming in to the uh, into the game, so to speak, and you have these PROs trying to modernize themselves. So it's the perfect time for them to consider and ultimately adopt this technology. The adoption will happen, whether it's forced or whether it's willing, we just want to show that, you know, we are pushing for transparency overall. We're pushing for to the benefit of the, of the songwriter, and we want to do that through the PROs. But, right. you know, it's going to happen at a certain point. Yeah, well, it's an exciting time in the industry because it's completely changing. Absolutely. Because, you know, as we know, you know, physical sales are dead, uh, and they're not coming back. And so we have to take advantage of of every opportunity that we have to figure out a way to monetize people's work, people's art, right? And whether that's through, uh, you know, performance rights or, uh, you know, selling live recordings or, exactly. you know, right? That, that this, is, this is an exciting time to figure out, okay, so how are we going to use the technology to our advantage? And this is what, I, this is what we got excited about when we, when we were looking at, at Soundster, that it is, it's a great way to make sure that you are actually getting paid for, for what you put out there. Exactly. Right. And I love that. And, and we could really continue, you know, digging into the weeds on, on everything that you're talking about. And, you know, you could do, we could do a whole show on the, on music modernization act. We could do several shows on that. <laughs> and I, and as, I, as you should. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I have a feeling that your input on that would be really tremendous. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. So, but I want to make sure that, that one of the things that we talk about in this is some of the other reasons that uh, that your service is valuable to. I mean, I for for I think for Adam and I, we get uh, why it would be valuable valuable for PROs because it right. in theory should make their job a lot easier and transparent. And I transparent. love that you've said that word a lot yeah. because they were huge fans of that as well, both you know business wise and life. Absolutely. It's way easier if you just. Tell the truth. You never have to remember what you said. It's always the same story. So, exactly. but the the your your transparency with who the artist is that the music that you're listening to is being played by, and getting that artist paid, rather than just Elton John and Billy Joel and, and Beyonce, Beyonce, right, Kanye and and Bruno Mars, and we love all those artists, but right, but they don't make all the music, right. So right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, what we're trying to provide is a sense that it's very basic. When your music is used in a public setting and you have it registered with rights organizations, which is extremely important, um, you should be owed, well, you are owed uh, royalties and you should be compensated for the use of that music. And on the flip side, the music users, the businesses that support you by playing your music and paying these fees, mm -hmm. they should have a sense of transparency of where that right. money is going. And that's the number one complaint because I personally talked to, you know, hundreds of venues uh, when we were doing validation studies in our initial rollout, it's mm -hmm. not that venues don't watch. There are a lot of venues that don't want to pay, but the, the main complaint is not the fact that these venues are paying for music. It's that they don't know where their money is going. Exactly. And, you know, we did a case study, uh, you know, because one of the main proxies, and we have a great infographic on uh, soundster.com slash blog about this, uh, about general licensing overall. We found that the rights organizations, the three main proxies that they use to determine what is actually being played and ultimately whom to distribute uh, royalties to, mm -hmm. is uh, through Nielsen BDS, their broadcast data system. So basically, 
taking information of what is being played on the radio with stations that are registered with Nielsen BDS and uh, comparing that to, you know, what artists they know of are on tour and distributing that money. Um, then they also compare the top two to 300 tours, uh, respectively, uh, between, you know, ASCAP and BMI do, I think, the top two, I, I don't know, ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC look at between the top two and 300 grossing tours each year. So obviously, that's the 1%. Right. And then uh, the third component is the uh, artist, uh, well, the, the songwriter, performing songwriter set list submission. And yes. that's a very, very small fraction. And again, Tiny. that's not always accurate. Right, so, right. you know, it, 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 in a basic sense, we're trying to offer this transparency to help songwriters get paid more transparency, tra- transparently and also help uh, music venues, uh, music users, all music users across radio, TV, digital, and uh, general licensing um, have fair fees that are based on what they're actually using and market share. You know, Steve Sack and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to use them, them as an example CSAC currently owns at best 5% of the market, so why are music venues paying more than 5% of their total fee to CSAC when ASCAP and BMI and you know, global music rights is certainly infiltrating their market share as well? But we have venues out there that are paying several multiples of a fee to CSAC when it's very unlikely that they're playing music in their catalog because right. of the nature of the venue but that venue is not willing to negotiate with CSAC. They're just literally paying them their fee because they don't want to be uh, taken to court over, you know, an, right. an, an infraction, which can be ten to $150,000 per song with no limit to the number of songs. Wow. And again, that's not to villainize the PRO. No, 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 no. It's right. just yeah. calling on the... Uh, well, it's yeah, a system. That. It's a system that's yeah, integrated. Exactly. And yeah. so well, this is... This is a way to get through that. So I think that I, I do want to I do want to just get to this part here because I, I think that we we have established and I think that we that we have a really good understanding now for the advantage for what Soundster can do for the artist. I think that I I think that uh, we also have a really good understanding for what the advantage can be for the PROs. I, and I really do think it is an advantage. Yeah, I do too. And to a certain extent, I think that we get some of the advantage for the clubs because now they're going to they won't have to pay this sort of vague, you know, thing or or what you just talked about, paying a PRO that doesn't actually fit their club, the kind of music that they play. Right. But I do, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about the capabilities of the technology and because I think there's some real advantages also just within the capabilities of this sort of device that, that you guys have come up with. Oh, yeah. No, we actually, we absolutely future-proof this as much as possible. So uh, going back to something I mentioned earlier, Soundster was originally two separate companies, my event advertising component and then um, Aaron's uh, music licensing component. Yeah. So uh, one of the reasons that we came together is, you know, the the market potential when it comes to advertising is much bigger than than music licensing. Exactly. It is what it is. So um, one one of the uh, scenarios that we've always envisioned is, if you have, in a sense, a sound surpulse is an IoT device, so Internet of Things connects you know, the device to multiple sources, we can convert a venue into a smart venue. Uh, we have the potential to introduce uh, unique advertising um, you know, revenue streams, but you know, uh, more scenarios, uh, applications to a venue. You, know, you walk into a venue right now, you're going to see a lot of signage hanging on the walls, you mm-hmm. might see some TV screens, you know, scrolling through and advertising some upcoming shows, but everyone has a smartphone, yet no one is really connected 
with <laughs> regard to advertising in that actual right. setting right. of a venue. Um, so, you know, we have uh, different advertising components and services that we offer. You know, we can do 15 to 30 second radio style audio broadcast advertisements before, during, before and after events and in between set changeover. Uh, our devices come equipped with a uh, Bluetooth low energy beacon that mm-hmm. we can push out um, if, if we're working in conjunction with an app someone has on their phone, whether that's proprietary or a third-party app, uh, we can send out a notification that can be received by that app if it's looking for it. So we do an activation with the rideshare service. Everyone gets a discount that night. We can target people specifically within uh, proximity of that venue. Perfect. It goes well beyond that. You know, we can tie into information based on, you know, point of sale. We can tie into information based on uh, geospatial location of where you are and, you know, it's not that we're trying to spy on you. It's just yeah, we, we are looking to implement the absolute best uh, advertising means to people in a venue because what we found both in our uh, direct research from our, our use cases and our case studies and testing our technology and also general information that's out there is when someone's at an event, they are highly engaged. And yeah. if they're highly engaged and there's a right sponsorship scenario, and that, or right advertising scenario, I should say, whether that's from, you know, an alcohol vendor or, you know, a food vendor, you know, the, the club offering, you know, specials on, on from their kitchen that night, totally. the bands themselves offering a discount on merchandise, you know, to people that come out earlier, stay late for a show yeah. or, you know, for a limited time, we have the ability to connect all of that. There's absolutely some layers of complexity uh, that go along with that. But when we look at the future of the live show, it's supportive knowing that everyone has a smart device in their pocket, but it's really about the connectivity. And one of the other important things is our founding team is largely made up of professional or former professional songwriters. So what we're trying to do is get our foot in the door early and introduce this new technology and, you know, these new uh, advertising mediums on behalf of the music industry so we can capitalize on those revenue streams and put them in the hands of the songwriters that are performing, put them in the hands of the music venues. Because if a third party source comes along that is not interested in, you know, benefiting the music industry, right. that advertising spend could never touch the artists that are performing every night. Right. You know, that could never touch the bar itself. That's great because what what it sounds to me like you're saying is that this is another opportunity for income for the venue itself through, oh, at, through well, this the, third the party venue advertising, and the right? performing and songwriters. The yeah. Right. Yes. And the performance. And in addition to the additional revenue coming in, which is absolutely how we're trying to structure our, uh, our deals, um, having purely the data on where someone is performing. I oh, mean, yeah. think about it from a, a booking and, and talent buying perspective. If you're right. an agent, you typically have a relationship with talent buyers in yeah. you know, individual markets at clubs. But if your artists are being played on jukeboxes or their music is being covered in another city in that, in another market in that state or another bar across town or even, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. there's so many things that, that uh, could be considered here when you get on a very granular level, Absolutely. but having that data to better inform where the interest around that artist is will allow that artist, regardless if they're booking tours, you know, on their own or with Indy on the move, uh, or with, you know, a, a high-level agent, having that granular data on your actual listeners 
is going to better inform you. I mean, everything from social and advertising spend to tour routing and beyond. Absolutely. When you you find it right, you find out that you're that you're actually getting a you know a bunch of different you know you're being covered by a bunch of different bands in you know. Austin, Texas, or Topeka, Kansas, or well, now you know that you need to add those cities to your dates, right? Because there's chances are that, that you've got yeah. fa- a fan base there that you might not even know about. Well, imagine you know somebody who, with an old school jukebox, or even with you know some uh, other you know n- not internet enabled device that's broadcasting music, and you know you could be playing in the north end of a town when in the south end of a town your music has been on repeat consistently with, uh, you know, Chicago is a great example of that Chicago has so many pocketed neighborhoods. Yeah. And right. if you play at the wrong neighborhood, it's a, well, it's the wrong bar in the wrong neighborhood. Right. You know, some of your crowd might not want to make it because of train schedule, because sure. they don't, you know, frequent because they don't see the advertisement. Right. You know, there's so many different components, but oh, I love that. having, giving the artist direct access to that data or their team direct access to that data. And there's a lot of great companies out there that are doing, you know, things with data and analytics, but sure. this is very uh, direct user-based. But what we're more interested in is the real-world sense and capability of this. I love that because what I, and you hit the word that I was gonna that I was gonna bring up. The analytics are are everything now in the music industry, and especially as a DIY artist or an indie artist. I mean, also for obviously for large artists too, but. But particularly, the more user-friendly you can make it for a DIY or an indie artist or an emerging artist to have analytics that help them figure out where should I tour, where should I spend my, some of my time, you know, what, what, where am I going to spend some of that? Where's my those, fan base? Those, re, those resources, those you know, scarce resources that I have right now, that's a phenomenal tool to be able to give them. So it sounds like what we've covered then is the advantages for artists certainly advantages for pro the multiple advantages for venues the, the venues right I, I promoters yeah agents the industry at large like this yeah. really is this is the modern music industry we're talking about this is exactly using all of the modern technology that we have at our disposal to make it better for everybody That's to exciting. really raise all boats that's yeah, really exciting we're Absolutely. very excited about it as well. What's the best way for everybody to find out more about Soundster and, and, and what you guys are about? Right now, the best thing to do is go to soundster.com, and there's a lot of information uh, up there. And that's, by the way, that's uh, S-O-U-N-D-S-T-R. Uh, so soundster.com. Uh, check out the blog. You know, we've got some great infographics. Yeah, the blog is, there's a ton uh, on, of great info on the blog. I also, yeah, I really like the, the instructional, the little uh, one or two minute videos that explain each thing. I thought those were great. Yeah. Those were yeah, nice. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's a very complex uh, solution that we provide yes. to an yeah. even more complex yeah. problem. So those, you know, are, are uh, I, I can't thank our uh, creative team led by Corey Donovan, especially yeah. enough. They did a great uh, on job. That, but, yeah, I know. He really, he really did, and he always does. But um, the main thing is to sign up. Uh, you can sign up for free. Uh, is a you know, songwriter, uh, a music user, so you know, venue, uh, radio station, things like that. Sign up at soundster.com, and you will be you know, added to our uh, newsletter list, and we will be updating you know, end of this year, early next year, with some big things that are happening with our uh, relaunch under the venue suite. Fantastic. So, uh, you know, 
again, it, it's an exciting time. The, these things do take time, though. So uh, Absolutely. But, not. yeah, we're very excited about the future. This will definitely not be the last time we talk to you about this. This is absolutely amazing, and I'm really excited to get this information out for everybody. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I'd love to speak with you more. Fantastic. Excellent. Brian, thank you so much for, uh, for, for talking with us and, and dropping those knowledge bombs. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for having me. That was awesome. Mind blown. I, just <sighs> phenomenal. Now, look, here's the thing. We, we are in the weeds on this stuff. Yeah, totally. That's our job is to be in the weeds on this Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. I was hanging on by my fingernails. <laughs> I'm like, all right, okay. Blockchain. I get it. Blockchain. The, the Internet of Things. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I'm there. <laughs> so, stay with it. So this is this might be one of the ones that you need to listen to. Yeah, you again. Might, absolutely. Right. I think I'm probably gonna. I well, I'm definitely gonna. <laughs> I'm really glad we get to edit this. Absolutely. So that we can go back and listen again. Oh, listen right. Again. That's what he said. But just really super super interesting, exciting stuff. Yeah, definitely right? worth checking out. Definitely worth checking out. So as always, you guys, we got you on the cutting edge. We got you on the cutting edge. We're gonna. We promise you. We're gonna date. bring you in the room. Up to the moment where it all happens, as they would say the in room Hamilton. Where it happens. The room where it happens. Right there. Apparently, it's our studio. <laughs> this is the room where it happens. Exactly. So remember, you got this. We got your back. Yeah.